advisory to those who are not animal lovers, open to new ideas, or interested in integrative holistic healthcare for your pets, and believe that prescription diet is the best food for your pet. This podcast may offend your sensibilities. Have you ever felt frustrated and helpless after listening and doing everything your vet told you to do but it only made your sick pet worse and not get any better? That's me in 2008 with my first adopted cat, Meow. I did everything the vet told me to do and I realised she wasn't getting any better and only worse. So I decided to look into alternative health options and was drawn to the stories of holistic pet service entrepreneurs and their transformative journey, overcoming obstacles, chasing their passion and creating a movement that has caused a ripple effect of positive change in the lives of their clients and pets around the world. Join me as I share the raw, inspiring journeys of these amazing entrepreneurs, their successes and failures. My name is Amrys Wang, and this is The Raw Entrepreneur. Good morning, everyone. This is Amrys Wang of The Raw Entrepreneur. Today's episode is with Dr. Marcy Koski of Feline Behaviour Solutions. She is a certified feline behaviour and training consultant who helps pet parents understand how to communicate with their feline companions and has also worked with the rescue community to help keep cats in homes and out of shelters. This is her story. Who is Dr. Marcy, please? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's, that's a crazy question. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Um, let's see. Um, I try to help cats and their people. That's pretty much consuming my world right now. Um, you know, with the pandemic and I, I work from home, so there's, it's hard to make that, that separation between personal life and, and work life. Um, I'm married to a wonderful husband and it's going to be our 10 year anniversary in March. Um, yeah. So me as Dr. Marcy, I'm very lucky to have him in my life and support me and my business. And, um, I also have four cats, um, and I try to give them the best life that I can give them. And let's see, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you want to know specifically? <laughs> <laughs> well, were you always a cat person when you were young? Yes. What you like yes. what would you like what would you like what would you like when you were like a little wee one? Well, um I think I was um kind of quiet. I was very observant and we always had cats in our home. I we always had at least one cat. But I was very um I was pretty quiet. I was very observant also introverted. Um, and I still consider myself to be an introvert. Um, and I, I loved to read. Um, and I spent more time indoors than my friends did. Um, but I loved hanging out with my, my animals. And we had like both dogs and cats in our family. And um, I just, I loved hanging out with my um was also kind of artistic so I loved to draw um 
And, and then as I got older, I really started enjoying science and biology in particular and ecology. Um, wow. So very, very much um, aligned towards wanting to learn more about animals and how they live and how they act um, and just wanting to help animals. Um, you know, I, I considered myself kind of a, you know, I remember in, we lived in Oklahoma when I was a small child. At one point we lived in Oklahoma and we had kind of a creek running by our house and um, we'd find all sorts of animals in that creek, um, in that, that area. And one time me and my stepsister, we found a mouse and um, I think it was injured. It had like a paw injury or something and we brought it in and I was, I was in first grade and my stepsister was in fourth grade great we brought the the mouse in and made a little like bowl and put it in her closet and I don't think my stepmom ever figured it out um because if she did she would have lost her mind um but you know always kind of taking care of animals and you know just always really loved them so did you know from a very young age you wanted to work with animals no no um, I always thought I'd be an artist and I was, I really liked to draw cartoons. So I really wanted to be a cartoonist in particular. <laughs> oh, really? Um, so yeah, I wanted to be a cartoonist. Um, and, oh, wait a minute. In first grade, I wanted to be a cheerleader, but then I always wanted to be an artist. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then I always wanted to be an artist. And so even through high school, I was taking art classes. And after high school, I had to kind of make the decision, do I want to study art or do I want to go into a different arena? Um, I actually ended up going towards communications, but then I only did that for a semester. And then I took two years off of college. I stopped work, stopped going to school for two years. And then it was really like, okay, art or science, art or science, art or science. And then I, I just, I picked science. Um, the thing that was really hard about art for me was that I liked doing it, but um, doing it for money and having deadlines kind of took the fun out of it. Mm. Um, so I, I did actually get to be a cartoonist for a while. Um, I, used to draw weekly cartoons for it was a paper called the Philadelphia welcome mat and um and cool. yeah yeah and I think I got paid $50 per cartoon or something like that and um but I can check that off my list I was a cartoonist um <laughs> so I you know did that that dream but that's kind of how I learned like it's not as fun for me it wasn't as fun when I was doing art and then had deadlines and you know had to oh gosh is this good enough is this good enough is this good enough so yeah so you're actually a free spirit underneath all that yeah <laughs> <laughs> I get pulled in many different directions <laughs> okay so you're you're different you're a different kind of doctor I mean um most most doctors, when like the ones I've interviewed, they're usually with DVM because they they're vet doctors. But you're a different kind of doctor. Could you explain what what kind of doctor are you? 
yes, I have a PhD instead of a medical degree. Um, so it's a, it's a PhD and that's, um, my PhD is in fishery and wildlife biology. So um, let's see, I got a master's in ecology and then at Colorado State University. And then um, I went on to get my PhD in fishery and wildlife biology also at Colorado State University. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, of all the sciences that you would, when you decided between art and science and you chose science, you know, what sort of pushed you in that direction? I think it was the challenge. I remember looking at, I knew I wanted to go back to school because I was, I, I took those two years off and I had actually moved across the country to be with my boyfriend at the time. And, um, oh gosh, this seems like an entire lifetime ago um, or three lifetimes ago, so long ago. <laughs> um, but I was working as a temp secretary um, for those two years and I actually learned so much as a temp secretary, um, you know, learned all about how to use computers. I mean, learning Microsoft Office and Word and Excel and graphics programs. I, you know, I'm so thankful for that time because I really learned a lot of skills that a lot of people when I went back to school did not have. Um, wow. So, um, you know, I was looking at, uh, like, I think I, I was looking at the Philadelphia um, art Institute or whatever their art program was in Philadelphia. And then, um, a local university, Westchester university. And I had the course catalog. I remember it had like a yellow border on it and I had a highlighter and I was just looking at the list of majors and kind of going down the line, like creative writing, that sounds interesting. And then, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, there was just, a, I was highlighting whatever, stood out to me. And then I saw biology with an ecology emphasis. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds interesting. And so I went and looked at it and, and then started looking at all the courses. And, you know, there's um, the biology courses sounded really interesting and ecology, but then there were things like chemistry and um, I was like in, in physics. And I was like, I don't know if I could do this. Could I do it? I wonder if I could do it. And I think it was the challenge that kind of pushed me over the edge because I was pretty unchallenged at that time. And so I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. And that's, that's what I did. I wow. Did it. Yeah. That's amazing because most people I know who, who are very artistic and creative by, you know, by nature and, and, you know, they're like right brain kind of people. And then suddenly you choose to, to, to go into a field which requires a more left brain application, you know, like it, that's a huge challenge, yeah. you know, and someone, you're such a free spirit. I mean, like, obviously you, 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 you follow your heart, you know, um, and, and you do things quite instinctively. I think, you know, um, the fact that, you know, you learn things on the job, you're, you're quick, you know, um, two years on attempt, but it's, it's it just, I'm so impressed because I mean, like I, I consider myself more of a arty free spirit kind of person uh -huh. and to, to do anything that's sciencey or, you know, and especially at a younger age, um, you know, uh, it's very challenging. <laughs> well, it, I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, 
I've been looking at the left brain, right brain stuff behind you. And, <laughs> and there is very much kind of a, a struggle between, you know, which side you want to put yourself in, but it's so wonderful when those two pieces work together. And there's very much a part of science that requires creativity um, because you have to ask questions. You have to be creative about how you want to address a specific question. You have to figure out um, creative ways of approaching problems and problem solving. So it can be, um, you know, it can, it, left brain and right brain can really work well together. And um, I'm very lucky when that happens in my life. Well, I think you're an amazing human being to, to <laughs> have done what you've done. And, you know, um, what, what would you say, you know, um, was one of the biggest challenges for you when you were, when you were studying doing this biology course? Okay, so um, when I was doing my undergraduate work, um, I loved the, the studying I, and I loved the coursework. I, I was very fortunate. I went to um, a university where the class sizes were really small and I got to know my professors very well. Um, I had a, one of those professors became a mentor to me and I did an independent study project with him and um, I was very lucky. I, I graduated with a, a GPA over 4.0 because they gave A pluses for classwork. So I really, I really sank myself into my studies. And I think at that time in my life, um, I did that because I, my personal life was a wreck. Um, I was with somebody, I was living with somebody who was an alcoholic and had some um, mental illness issues and it was really, really difficult. And so the more time that I could spend focusing on my studies, um, that was what kind of kept me sane. So wow. um, it, was, it was almost like a diversion to me to be so involved in my academic career at that point. Um, and one thing I loved about it was the diversity of all the things I got to study. So like I said before, I, I got to study chemistry and physics and biology, and then all these different ecology courses. I got to look at insects and plants and, you know, we had outdoor labs and, you know, I mean, it was just the diversity was amazing. We were doing something different every single week, um, which I really loved. Now, when I went into grad school, the challenge became, um, it, it, it went from kind of a generalist approach to learning things to more specific. And so in my master's, I was actually studying fish for my master's and my PhD. So aquatic ecosystems is what I ended up studying. Um, so my master's was focused on um, a laboratory research project working with kokanee, which is a freshwater salmon. Um, 
And the coursework was very, the emphasis was not on coursework anymore. It was on the research project and um, the coursework though kind of narrowed down into like more of a focused and, and then the PhD was even more so. And so I realized that I'm kind of more of a generalist person. <laughs> <laughs> I like learning a lot, like a little bit about a lot of things. Okay. And I get kind of bored when I have to learn a lot about one thing. Um, so that was by the end, of, I, I did my undergraduate, master's and PhD all in one shot, like just no breaks between that. And so it was, I was really burned out at the end of my PhD. I was extremely burned out at the end of my PhD. And that was, that was a big challenge because I had to get out of that. Wow. Dr. Marcy, you're, you're a superhuman. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, really. I mean, you, you, you talk, you make it, you're a good storyteller. You, you make it, you make it like, you know, it was a no biggie, but um, to, to have um, in your, in your, you know, private emotional life, the struggles that you were facing, um, that wasn't easy, you know? Um, and then to, to train your mind, you know, and also in a way, I guess, to, to deal, you know, like it's like therapy in a way to yeah. study what, what you did, you know, that focus that you did. That's amazing. Cause most people I know, I mean, and I've had, you know, um, friends who've had, you know, um, difficult relationships, you know, and they, instead of, of trying to, to better themselves or, you know, to, to improve and, and, and try and figure out in their brain somewhere, like, how do I get out of it? How do I deal with it? Um, they get sucked into a black hole, you know, and they just go down a really bad path, but you actually went on a different path because you, I mean, like, it's so easy for people when they're in love and then they, they get very disillusioned with the relationship and then they do something completely. And someone, you're such a, a big hearted person, you, you know, you, you feel of your heart, you follow your heart. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's strength of character, you know, <laughs> I mean, well, you're, I mean, you're I, toughy. I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think I always made the right decisions and I know I've made a lot of mistakes in my, in my life. Um, you know, but that's all part of growing and evolving and learning. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's all been an experience. Well, Every you're, minute. you're an amazing human being, um, you know, to, <laughs> to be, and you're so beautiful. I mean, like, seriously, you don't, you don't look that old. <laughs> seriously. Seriously, you don't look that old. You look, you look, yeah. Yeah. You're still a little kitty cat. Okay. You're still a little wow. kitty cat. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, okay. So you did your PhD and you realized like, I don't want to be a fish specialist. <laughs> Yeah, it was, yeah, so after I got my PhD, oh gosh, <laughs> again, I was really burned out, and so I was living in Colorado, and I was just ending this relationship with a different guy that I was with, um, and so I moved with my two cats and dog at the, at the time down to Southern California, and moved in with my mom, because she was living down there. 
And I probably laid on her couch and watched TV for at least three months um, because I was just so shot. And um, then let's see, I, oh gosh, I had the best job when I, when I was ready to get back to work. I had the best job I've ever had in my life. It was so much fun. Um, unfortunately, Southern California is a very expensive place to live and with student loan bills to pay, I, I couldn't do that working part-time at $12 an hour, but let me tell you about this job. So I actually got a job as a tour guide at the San Diego Wild Animal Park in Escondido, cool. California. And it was, it was called the San Diego Wild Animal Park at the time. I think now nice. it's like the Safari Park or something. I, I don't know what it is. Um, but I was hired as the tour guide for the overnight camping program, the Roar and Snore program. So Friday, Saturday, I think it was Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. Maybe it was only Friday and Saturday. I don't, I don't remember. Um, I would go and greet the campers in the afternoon, but then I would take them through the park. We would first go to the, the lions and um, I would, you know, I had like a loudspeaker. This is me, I'm an introvert, but I can turn on that performing part of myself because I, there's a certain part of me that does like to perform um, and does like to talk to people and be funny and entertaining. So I had the megaphone and the speaker and I'd take these groups of campers um, we'd go down to the lions first and I'd be talking to them along the way. And then we would take them into the, the back part of the lion area where people don't get to go. So I get to show them what's happening there. And then we go up to the campsite and we would just mingle and I would get to talk to them. I mean, meanwhile, there was like giraffes and rhinoceros and all these things. And so I had to know a lot about all these African animals and that I loved that part of it, you know, loved learning about, you know, just these little tidbits about these African animals and then the ecosystem and how they got along together. Um, and then I, in the evening, we would, um, I would take them around to the elephant exhibit and then, and then also back behind the scenes in the elephants and then also to the tiger exhibit. And we would go back into the tiger bedrooms and see that. And that was one of my favorite things. Um, and then I would also give talks in the very evening, like later where I bring out like um, elephant tusks and rhinoceros horns and get to talk to them about skeletal structures and things like that. Um, and I just, I just loved it. It was, so much fun and I got to work with different groups of people. So one one night it would be Girl Scouts, the next night it would be adults only. And then, you know, then it would be family night. And I mean, it was just, it was so much fun. I just loved it. I just loved it. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I would have loved that too. Doing, oh, wow. That's so cool. Really, that was a very cool job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how... So how long did you do that for? I think I just did that one season and I wanted to do it longer. I, I, I went for an interview for like an education specialist there, but then at the interview, I realized it was more like daycare for uh, kindergartners. And I was like, yeah, this isn't my thing. So, um, and again, I, I was not gonna be able to live on what they were paying part-time. So, um, 
I got a, a temp job, which was a lot of fun in a lot of ways, but it was another temp job. But that was just interim because then what I did was I got a job working as a an endangered species biologist for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So I was working in Southern California for the federal government. Um, and Southern California was kind of known as regulatory boot camp um, for endangered species biologists um, because it has an incredible diversity of environments in Southern California. You have the beach, you have mountains, you have desert, you have um, scrubland, you have a whole bunch of different environments, but you have a really booming population, which means that wildlife and development are gonna clash. And so we had a lot of different endangered species there, a lot of endangered eco ecosystems. And so, I worked with cities and developers to try to protect threatened and endangered species and their habitat amidst development. So it was my job to, um, so like developers would come in and they would try to get permits from the city. And I would go out to the sites with the developers and go, oh, you know what? You have, you know, 0.3 acres of coastal sage scrub here, which is used by the coastal California gnat catcher and we need you to preserve this patch of coastal sage scrub. Sorry. Um, so they'd often have to change their, their development design completely to save a certain amount of habitat um, or you know, would have to do mitigation somewhere else for habitat that they did impact. So it was, I mean, it was really interesting um, it was very frustrating at times, but it was, it, I got to learn a lot. I mean, again, it was all this, I learned a lot about the Endangered Species Act. Um, I learned a lot about, um, how cities work. Um, you know, it was very regulatory. It was very bureaucratic. Um, and I got to learn a lot about a lot of different things. So I was working with butterflies, plants toads, fish, birds. I mean, it was just a ton of different types of animals and plants. Um, so that's something that appealed to me. So I was working, I worked down in Southern California as an endangered species biologist for, for three years. Um, yeah. Wow. You, 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 you like, you like became like Xena, the warrior princess for the planet. I don't know. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really sounds like that because no, no, it's, <laughs> no, don't. That's not who I was at all. Um, and it, it was part of the frustration was that um, a lot of times the developers would win out, and um, also a lot of times, you know, as a biologist, you'd make certain recommendations. And um, because of political dealings or whatever, higher ups in your own agency would say, no, we're not gonna do that. Even though you have a biological recommendation and reason for doing it, we're not gonna do it that way. Um, so that got to be very frustrating. Um, and yeah, it just, it got to be really frustrating. So I, I, I decided it was time to move on and, but I, I wanted to stay with the federal government and the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And 
I was able to actually move up to the Portland, Oregon area, which is where I am now. Um, I have family up here. And um, so then I went back to working with aquatic ecosystems with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in, a, in their fisheries program, which is different than their um, endangered species program. So um, gosh, I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> no, good. No, I love I love it. You know, I, you know, I love listening to stories and I find yours really fascinating because what you're sharing is, is amazing stuff. I mean, like, wow, your noggin is amazing. You have this beautiful <laughs> brain, you know, um, and your spirit is, is amazing because honestly, for you to, to learn and adapt and you love challenges, that's, I mean, like listening to your journey, you know, um, it wasn't easy, but you learn to listen to your body and rest. And then when you're ready, you will try something new. Yeah. And, and even if it's something, and one thing seems to be like, you're not scared of jumping in to something very, very different that you, very unknown territory. I mean, that it, I mean, from, from what you're explaining to me and sharing with me is that, you know, like I said, like Xena warrior princess, seriously, <laughs> you just, all right, I'm going for it. You know, I don't know what's there, but let's go for it. Let's check it out, you know, and you're thrown into very different, like, well, I guess like a different environments and biodiversity when it comes to the human and the animal interaction, you know, the ecology yeah. stuff yeah. and the, and human politics, which really sucks. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why I prefer animals to humans. <laughs> Me but, too. but you know, you having all that that wealth of experience dealing with all that government, you know, and 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 I think besides animal behavior and nature, but human nature and, uh, like you said you know, how they work together, you know, how they collide, you know, the, the bumps that they get into each other. Um, it's actually truly you're building on your life and I can just see your journey like from from the beginning, you know, and where you are now, it's it's, it's a very good yarn you're, you're spinning here, seriously. You know? <laughs> so keep talking. Okay, so, okay, okay. What, okay, what do you do after that? Okay, so then, you know, I'm, I, I get a job again, still with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, but I'm now up in um, Vancouver, Washington, which is just across the river from Portland, Oregon. So not Canada. Um, it's just basically a suburb of Portland. Um, and I'm working for the fisheries office, one of the fisheries offices there. And I'm in a supervisory position now. So I'm supervising um, four or five or six biologists at any given time. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm, you know, I start, the, the program is for endangered species recovery. Um, so working on recovery plans and things like that. But um, this started kind of amplifying my dissatisfaction with, again, working with the federal government um, because after several years of working on a particular recovery plan, um, and, you know, really people, I know people who have put their entire lives into working on this specific recovery plan that I was involved with for a very short time, relatively speaking. Um, we finally came up with something that had a lot of really good science behind it and very spelled out. Um, 
And the recovery plans are there to guide, you know, once a species is put on the endangered species list as a threatened or endangered species, the recovery plan is a guide to how that species can get off the list. So um, we came up with a really great plan and I was at a certain level in the government where, um, yeah, I was still involved with the science, but then um, people above me were like, you know, we have political dealings that you aren't privy to and we're going to take this plan and dumb it down significantly. And by the way, we can get this animal off the endangered species list at levels lower than when they were put on the list. So, and that's not the first time that's happened. Um, So in, you know, working with the government and just being pushed down by policy and politics and people making deals and just trumping the science um, was really, really frustrating. And the other thing about it was I was a supervisor and most of my time was taken up doing timesheets, performance evaluations, writing and reading reports that no one was ever going to use or need. And I was just sitting behind a computer and I felt like my job was basically pointless. So um, I, I was like, you know, this job is killing me. I cannot do this. It's, I was extremely bored. I was extremely dissatisfied. Um, And there was lots of management changes happening in my office. A lot of people were really unhappy. Um, And so I was like, you know what? I got to do something else. And that led me to like, okay, what do I, what do I love? I love, I love cats. (laughs) (laughs) What can I do with that? (laughs) I want to help animals. I love cats. What do I do? And, um, So I just, you know, started looking around and I, for some reason, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to enroll in this cat behavior class at the Animal Behavior Institute. And um, so I went through the certification process for um, feline training and behavior. And I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to have my own um, cat behavior consulting business. And so I got to a point where I was overlapping my work for a couple of years. And that was crazy. Um, But then I quit my job at the Fish and Wildlife Service. And that was, I think, at the end of 2016. Um, And so, yeah, this is going to be my fifth year um, in, no, yeah, going on. Well, I started my business at the end of 2014. So 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, this is going to be my seventh year. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Lucky number seven. Yeah. Seven is a very powerful number. Yeah. Um, okay. So not being rude, but how old were you when you decided to do, you know, to become a cat behaviorist and, and go and enroll again into another course? So I am for how old am I now? I'm going to be 40. (laughs) I'm going to be 47 in just a few weeks. And so if that was seven years ago, so I was about 40, 39, 40 when I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta change something. I can't do this for the rest of my life. 
you're you're amazing. <laughs> you, you are an amazing lady. Again, like I said, you're like this super Wonder Woman because you know it takes a lot of guts to to be able to do what you've been through and to recognize when you know I'm dissatisfied, I'm unhappy, I'm frustrated. I, I need to change. You know, a lot of people go through life unhappy and frustrated, but they will continue eating the shit. Yes. Because they don't have the courage to, to change, you know, to make that break. And you're different. I mean, you're built differently, you know. Um, your, your brain, like I said, your left brain and right brain, you've managed to marry that so well to to be able to you love creativity you love that freedom of expression you know mm-hmm. but at the same time you're good at analyzing things to the point like okay we've been trying things out it's not working i need to figure out how to get out of it or else it's yeah. going to kill me you know it was it was really a matter of self-preservation honestly and you could talk to my husband and he would tell you that i was miserable in that job and Um, you know, starting my own business was not easy because Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about business, nothing. I, I mean, you, you're, you know, the raw entrepreneur, I did not, and still really don't have much of an entrepreneurial, I, I just don't like, that is not my, that is my, not my forte. Um, I don't have a, a drive to like, oh, I'm going to start a business doing this. I'm going to start a business doing that. It's, um, you know, just, it, it was like, I want to help. I want to help cats and I want to help their people. How do I do that? And then um, also like, I really have to do something different. I have to, I, I wanted to work for myself so that I could, I could dictate how much I work, when I work, how I work. Um, and you know, that just happened to be, well, I guess I'm having my own business. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, you know, it really sounds like a raw entrepreneur. I mean, you think you're not, <laughs> but you, you know, uh, you, you definitely are one because it, it takes a certain, a certain kind of person to, to, to to go through life and, and experiences like you, and some of you were like in the, I guess, like a civil servant because you were working for the government yeah. for quite quite a while, yeah. you know, for you to decide like enough is enough. I want to be my own boss. I want to I want to have control yeah. of my life, better control of my life and, and chart it and be responsible for my own actions. Yeah. Um, real kitty cat stuff, actually. Very yeah. kitty cat, very, very yeah. kitty cat. Um, so wow. So you you were <clears throat> you 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 were studying this animal behavior thing while you were working uh, mm-hmm. with the FDA still. And then mm-hmm. after a, a couple of years, like two years, three years, about there, right? You decided mm-hmm. to quit your job and go in full time. Yeah. <clears throat> what yeah. was that like? It was really hard. It was really hard. First of all, it was really scary. Um, and we just bought a house. So um, I, I'm glad that I waited until after we bought the house to quit my job because <laughs> we would have qualified <laughs> to buy the house. Um, 
but you know, for a while I wasn't earning, well, I'm still not earning much money. Um, I'm still not. And I, again, I'm just very grateful that my husband, um, has been so supportive. Um, and this to me is, is more a journey about being happy and helping others. Um, you know, I never had like the desire to, oh, I'm going to get rich doing this. Now, if you're working in animal welfare, you're not getting rich. Um, and I wanted to do something more meaningful with my life. And I wanted to make sure that eight hours of my day, instead of sitting behind a computer, being bored out of my skull, reading reports that nobody was ever going to use, that's just such a waste. It's such a waste. Um, I wanted, I wanted to do something more meaningful. Um, but it was really hard, you know, it, and it still is really hard um, having my own business because the first couple of years when I was on my own, it was like, I didn't have a lot of business because it takes a while and it takes, you know, you need to build up some momentum before people realize that you're out there and cat behavior consultants, who even knew that that was a thing? <laughs> I get like almost every day, somebody's like, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that people were out there like that do what you do. And I'm like, yeah, it's, we're out there. <laughs> so it took a while for people to start finding me. Um, and then like when the pandemic started, I'd say maybe a few months before that actually, but especially since the pandemic started, my business has just skyrocketed. And in one respect, I'm very fortunate because I know a lot of people have lost their jobs, lost their work, lost their income. And me, on the other hand, I'm kind of like, woo. Um, but with that has come a lot of growing pains and before that, I was just one person, just me sitting right here. I'm going to help this person. I'm going to help this cat. Bloop, 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 bloop. But then it got to be too much. The emails just pouring in. And I can't even respond to people. I can't like, and it, it breaks my heart, you know, when somebody reaches out and is like, I need help with this. And I'm like, I have 50 other people to like, try to get back to. Wow. Um, and so I hired one of my friends to help me um, kind of shift the way I was doing my business so that I could have a team like remotely. And so Brandy helped me with that. And then I hired another friend. So now Gina is <coughs> working with incoming clients and leads and trying to field those. Um, and so now I'm mostly doing the behavior work with people. Um, Brandy just redid my website to make it better and more efficient. And because I'm getting bogged down in so many clients, one thing I hate right now is that I am the bottleneck for like the business coming in. And I hate, hate, hate feeling like I'm letting somebody down or not being able to give them the help that they need because I'm too busy. And so I feel like my quality of work is, you know, suffering because I'm just stretched way too thin. Um, so I actually now have an intern who's going through the same cat behavior sort of 
certification program that I went through and she was a client of mine. And after working with her, um, she was like, you know what, I'm thinking about doing this too. Um, what do you think about this, 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 this? And I was like, great, that sounds fantastic. Leanna, come on board. We, you know, I need the help. Um, and so now I have a team of three people besides me and um, it's really great. I mean, the more people you take on that creates work because you have to train them. You have to kind of make sure they're doing what you need them to do. So there is some amount of oversight and then you have to make sure that they are, you know, you have to give them things to do. <laughs> so that creates a little bit more work. So it's kind of like this snowball thing. And right now we're kind of in the middle of that, that snowball, but it's getting bigger. And um, I have really great supportive people around me. And yeah, I'm just, I'm hoping that we can build to a point where we can help more people, help more cats. So that's what it's all about. I love this. Oh my goodness. Um, but why do you think COVID-19 sort of pushed your, your business up? Why do you think that was? Okay, right now, about 75% of my clients are um, people who have cats who are not getting along. And when people started staying home, they started adopting cats from shelters. And um, a lot of people don't really understand <laughs> how cats see their world and what happens if their territory gets threatened and they start feeling territorially insecure. So a lot of people had botched introductions. So we need to step back and go, okay, um, you know, like we need to work on the relationship between a resident cat and a new cat. Um, and now what I'm finding is, um, so a lot of people started, a lot of people adopted kittens near the beginning of this pandemic. And now those kittens are teenagers. And when kittens become teenagers, they are very active. They can become aggressive yep. and they can be, they can be pains in the butts <laughs> because if you don't give them something to do, they're going to find something to do and you might not like what they find them find for themselves to do. So that is now I'm, I'm seeing more clients coming to me with these teenage kittens and um, you know, like, Hey, my cat keeps attacking my ankles. Hey, my cat keeps knocking stuff off my tables. Hey, my cat keeps eating my plants, you know? So yeah. That's a lot of what it is now. Yeah. So you educate human beings on cat behavior and why they do certain things. Why, why, why there's an issue going on? Exactly. And, and how have you found that experience? I love it. I love it. Um, first of all, cats are amazing animals and one of the reasons why I love cats is because they're still so wild. I mean, okay, honestly, they're barely domesticated. Mm. I mean, people say, oh, domestic house cats. No, 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 no. What we have are tiny, adorable, fluffy, wild carnivorous beasties that we have <laughs> put in our homes and expect to sleep all day. No, that doesn't, no, that's not who cats are. Cats are for, first and foremost predatory animals. 
Um, and I, I love how wild they are. And then that just makes the connection that we have with them so much more special and satisfying to me. Um, because you know, like if you make a connection with a cat, it really says, okay, you connected with this, this animal on a heart level at some, at some point dogs. I love dogs. I'm not going to knock dogs, but they're very different animals. Dogs, their goal is to please you. They're like, what can I do for you? What do you need me to do? I can do it. And you have treats. You're amazing. I love you. And to me, that's like not as rewarding because it's like, okay, unconditional love. Yeah, whatever. Um, but with cats, cats are like, okay, yeah, I see you got that, that treat right there. I don't know. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What do you got? And so um, to really bring out that cat, you know, like there has to be something about you that that cat likes. Um, it's not just how can they please you? So, I mean, of course there are exceptions, um, but generally speaking, that's what I think. Um, and so with cats, I love, first of all, dispelling a lot of myths about cats that people have. So cats, they do not revenge pee. They don't pee or poop on things because they're mad. They do that because there's something wrong and they're trying to make themselves feel better. So I, I wanna help people try to empathize, empathize with their animals so that they can understand them better. I um, love being able to talk to people about how cats are as a, a species and what their requirements are to have a happy and healthy life. And it's very different from dogs and people just assume that cats are the same as dogs, but they're very different animals. <laughs> so I, I like to teach them, okay, this is what your cat needs and this is why they're doing this. Now, we can give them an alternative way to express that behavior that they're instinctually driven to do by giving them this opportunity. And we can reward them when they do this and then they'll stop doing that. How about that? And so it's just, I love it when that light clicks on, when you get through to somebody and they're like, oh, that's why, that's why the cat does that. I was, um, one of my recent consultations was with <clears throat> a married couple and um, one of the wives had adopted a cat and this cat actually connected with the other, her partner, her, her wife. And so the woman who adopted the cat was very resentful of the cat for not connecting with her and instead connecting with her wife. Um, and in fact, the cat would, you know, sometimes swat or bite at um, the, the woman who was, who wanted to adopt the cat in the first place. And so we were trying to figure out how we're gonna deal with this. And towards the end of the call, I, I learned, I picked up something, you know, and, and the woman like, when she got mad at the cat, she would always just stare directly until the cat ran away. And um, I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. All right, so 
basically that direct staring, that's the first step in the prey sequence. So anytime a predator goes to hunt something, the first thing they do is stare at it directly. Cats do this all the time. You'll see them when they play, they stare at something and then they attack, right? So when the cat was getting stared at by the woman, the cat was like, oh my gosh, I'm prey. And so, and she was seeing this person as her predator, which caused her to either flee when she came into the room or strike out if she felt like she didn't, if she needed to defend herself. Right. And I was like, you got to stop staring at your cat <laughs> when you're mad at her. It's not about ego. <laughs> it, you got to take the ego out of it. <laughs> so we worked on some other things, but it's all, the light bulb goes off and it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this, this cat sees me as the predator. So it's, I love it when we can make those little breakthroughs. Wow. This is, this is where I think your, your white, your wildlife conservationist comes, kicks in, you know, with, 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 uh, with kitties and, and humans and being that bridge yeah. um, to explain the different, because cat language and human language, the behavioral language is very, very different. Um, and I think the problem with humans, we love that cute fluffy thing that we see on the internet. So mm -hmm. when we adopt the cats, we have this romantic idea of what a kitty cat's supposed to do in the house with yeah. the human and the human is the center of the universe and the cat is supposed to adapt and comply with whatever the human being is thinking and expecting, you know, like, like ironically as, you know, like a human family member or partner, you know, like, okay, now we're together. This is what you have to do to make me happy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, the people, I think expect like, Hey, I, I gave you this home. Now you have to comply with what I want you to do. And yeah. unfortunately, expectations and reality can be very, very different. Yeah. 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 Especially and when you don't really know what cats are about. I so. know it, it, that's one of the things I, I struggle with because um, I'm a community cat caregiver in my estate. So I do trap neuter return, you know, I sterilize Fantastic. the strays and I manage the colony in my, in my area, but you know, we also do adoptions and foster, I foster as well. So when I foster and I bring them in and, you know, I try to transition the cat to get used to being from an outdoor life where there's complete freedom yep. to an indoor life. And I live in a flat, you know, um, mm -hmm. like I said, under 800 square feet. Uh, yeah. So that's like, yeah, it's, it's a very small a very small apartment as I yeah. think you, you call it an apartment over there. I call it flat here. Yeah. Um, so the thing with a lot of humans is that they don't realize they need to make sure the home environment is cat friendly. Yeah. They sort of assume that, okay, you come into my home, you should be grateful that I'm giving you shelter, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 they expect the cat to know how to navigate this new environment without, without any, you know, like help or like a map or guide to, yeah. to, to tell them like, you know, this, what is this? Don't do this. You know, where should I pee? And yeah. because 
with a lot of new cat owners if they don't understand cats, number one, like you said. If they're first-time cat owners, <gasps> the education, you have to teach them a lot because, because one of the things you don't want to happen, you know, being a rescuer is that you don't want them to reject the cat. You, you actually want a win-win situation. You know, you want both sides to be happy. And, you know, I mean, like, frankly, you know what they say, you know, like, happy cat, happy life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and a lot of humans don't, don't click. And we usually, I will explain to them, like, you do have to modify your home. Yeah. You know, just like you would would with a dog. Or a human um, baby. I mean, seriously. A human baby. Absolutely. And, um. I've been into many homes and seen many environments where you wouldn't even know a cat lived there. There's mm-hmm. no purchase or cat trees or cat toys or anything. And mm-hmm. cats are just bored out of their skulls. And it's like, well, boredom leads to stress. Stress leads to behavior issues. Yeah. So you got to treat your cat like they're a cat. Yeah. Tiny little predators. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 I love the fact that you, you keep referring to them as little carnivorous predators because a yeah. lot of people don't see it that way. Yeah. You know, um, they think feeding a, a bag of kibble from the pet shop yeah. is enough. Um, leaving it out in a bowl, like buffet style 24-7. Um, yeah. They think like that's the life that the cat has. The, the cat is very blessed. That in, in their mind, that's enough for the cat. And they don't realize it. And I think, honestly, I was like one of them when, mm-hmm. I, when I first started being, because I didn't know anything. I mean, like, I didn't even plan to have my first cat. She just came because my flatmate came home one day and said, you know, oh, I've got this kid. It was, it was thunder and raining and storming outside. So, you know, and I think she's injured. Huh? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, so I, 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 I struggled with that because... Um, my, my friend, she's actually supposedly allergic to animals, but she was carrying a kitten. So, you know, like she's an animal lover, you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, okay, uh, so long as you don't break out in hives or have an asthmatic attack, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out, you know. But I remember the very first kitty that came into my home and it was, a, it was storming, it was raining. I was working on my computer. She came back and she didn't come in straight away. The door was open. I said, why aren't you coming in? I said, help, I have a kitty. You know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, okay, um, completely not prepared for that. You know, um, right. you but know, then you so- learn, you educate yourself, and you yeah. find out, okay, oh, okay, I was doing it this way, but there are better ways to do it. Exactly. Um, and when I when I work with clients, you know, I uh, okay, so diet is something that I don't really get into a lot because that's not my, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm, I'm more concentrated on behavior. Um, However, nutrition and health and behavior are all linked together. And at the very least, I encourage people to give their cats some wet food during the day and use food puzzles. And, you know, if cats are competing for food, how do we stop that? If um, a cat is bored, can we use food as an enrichment tool? Um, Can we incorporate some clicker training using 
food as, you know, a, a reward. So, I mean, food and being healthy and being able to try to feed cats in a way that resembles what they evolved to, to eat and how they eat it. I love teaching people about that. What, my worst, like, and I don't judge people because I, I just assume they just don't know. But, but a lot of times I ask people, even in like aggression cases, how often are you feeding your cat? Oh, I feed them in the morning and in the evening. Mm. And, oh, they get kibble. They get a small amount of kibble in the morning and the evening. And I'm like, oh my God, okay. Um, cats evolve to eat multiple small meals throughout the day. They hunt between 10 and 20 times per day, which means a small meal here, a small meal there. Yeah, it's concentrated in the morning and evening because that's when prey are most active and most likely to be caught. Um, but they eat multiple small meals throughout the day. How can we how can we kind of mimic that in your home? I mean, because when cats are hungry, they get angry. <laughs> hangry. I mean, talk, talk to my husband about being hangry and how I get if I haven't eaten in very long. I mean, like, <laughs> right, right, right. So, yay, maybe your cat's hungry. Maybe we need to start feeding them more frequent meals. Maybe we need to, if they're hungry, maybe we need to figure out a way to remedy that situation mm, so right. yeah 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 oh wow yeah i mean like oh we can't do an entire you and me discussion on cats and and oh and, i know and, i know it's 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 I, I this is one topic like i said near and dear to my heart because many people are not prepared to accommodate to the cat's wild nature because they really don't realize that they're bringing in a wild animal that's yeah. just agreeing to, okay, well, you know, you're inviting me in, but, you know, I have needs. And, and that's the thing, a, a successful adoption is usually when the adopter, the human being, they recognize the cat's needs and, and make sure that they accommodate the home for it. Yeah. And for me, because most Singaporeans in Singapore, we live in high-rise apartments. Yeah. So, you know, safety number one. We all say you must and close and mash up your home because right. we have cases where the cats actually fall out of the window. Most people think that, oh, cats will not die. Even if they go out of the window, they won't die. Now, I stay on a 20th floor. Yeah, that, that cat is not <laughs> making it out of a 20th yeah. floor. Yeah, and we've, we've had cases oh. where even on a so-called low floor, like 10th floor and below, the cats do die or they get severely injured or even yeah. paralyzed. And yeah. the thing is, if you were truly an animal lover, a responsible cat owner, this is not responsible cat ownership. Yeah. You know? So the number one thing that we actually tell people is that you must mash up your home. Yeah. You have to enclose it because you don't want the cat to jump out and die. Yeah. Yeah. There's no point getting a cat then. Okay. And the other thing is we don't, because Singapore is a very, um, what you want to call it? It's like a concrete jungle here. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's it's not like California, you know, or Oregon where you are, where there's houses and land. You guys are more horizontally spaced yeah. out. Okay. Yeah. As a, we are a very urban um, island state. So we right. live vertically up. Yes. Okay. So we have issues where pet owners let their cats roam. Mm -hmm. 
because they don't catify the house. So mm-hmm. the cat gets very destructive and bored, right? They pee here, scratch that, and then owners get very frustrated. Okay, get out of the house. And let me ask a question about that. I and this is something I've wondered about. So mm-hmm. if you live in like a high-rise building and right. say you live on the 10th floor and you say, cat, get out of here, do you expect them to come back like 10 stories up and then come back into your <laughs> Not necessarily, no. Yeah. And, and this is the problem we face educating cat parents in Singapore because I'm a volunteer here. So, you know, we have to teach them like, number one, we live in a concrete jungle. Yeah. You let the cats out and guess what they're going to do in a very urban environment? They're going through corridors, okay? Mm-hmm. Climbing stairs. And if they need to use the loo, which they will at some point, they're going to pee and poop. Now, where they do it will cause inconvenience because we are living with humans. And that's where, you know, your FDA experience comes in, that, yep. that urban and wildlife where they clash and we're trying to find a way to integrate yeah. and so that they live harmoniously. That was what you were trying to do in, in that previous lifetime. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do here in Singapore right now. We're yeah. trying to educate, you know, people like, okay, what is the ideal best responsible cat ownership in Singapore for our mm-hmm. environment you know because we have you know people who live overseas and they come here and they think oh you know I live in the countryside and my house and my cat can wander around but we tell them that's not safe do you do you would you let your child or your dog wander around and and you know they get what if they get knocked down by a car what if they get abused and there is abuse there is abuse cases people torture yep. animals for fun still you know it's something we don't talk about but it's a reality you know yeah. and and what and the thing is what if they get injured they can't come home then what <laughs> you get another yeah. cat yeah you know um so we 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 want to promote responsible cat ownership here so we tell them don't let your cat roam because number one if they go into someone's house flat apartment that person might not like cats i mean like what if you stumbled into a home where it was a, an animal abuser Right, right. You know, we've had cases where a cat goes into someone's home and they get thrown out of the window. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it has happened in my estate, you know. Or yeah. cats getting chopped up, beaten up. I mean, it happens. And that's where it frustrates me because I would tell them, if, if you truly love the cat, you wouldn't do all this. I have a feeling um, that a lot of people don't really recognize animals as like sentient yes beings beings with their own they just don't they look at them as commodities or toys or something like that and I just don't I don't understand that um and I think that they just think of them as like possessions and you can bring one in and toss one out and it's like buying a handbag. It's like buying a handbag. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't, I don't understand that. I, I never have. I've never like. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So like for us, we're always at, you know, like adoptions for life. Mm-hmm. Make sure you are prepared to adopt for life. Yeah. You know, you know, it's like, you know, like seriously, if they're sick, you don't throw them out. Yeah. You figure it out. 
you know, better or for worse. Exactly. I mean, this is marriage. All right. This is marriage. It's more yeah. to me, it's more sacred song than, than your husband. You know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever happens, they're your babies. You cannot abandon your babies. Yeah. You know, so so I actually am quite strict about uh, my pre-adoption screening. I mean, like some 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 rescues will tell me will will think that I'm a bit crazy, but you know, I want to, I want a successful adoption because I, I want to make sure that when you bring in, oh, and heaven forbid if there are children in the house, you know, <laughs> when you have little, little maggots, human maggots with two legs running around, I'm sorry, people out there who have children. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I look at, at the youngins because they're like, they're, they're like kittens and puppies. You need to train them, people. <laughs> I, um, you know what I just did? Uh, let me let me grab this book over here. I'm still here. Okay. Okay. So um, I work with a lot of people who have kids, and um, one thing that I have done is I've gotten a book, um, and this is by Arden Moore, and I I got this off of Amazon, and it's called A Kid's Guide to Cats. Wow. Okay. And this is a wonderful book. It has, um, you know, wet versus dry food. It has like body language stuff. It has like, um, yeah, learn body language, keep me out of trouble, play games with me, make toys for me, keep me healthy. And I think this um, book is for like eight year olds to about 12, which is a great age range. Um, but I've sent this book to some of my clients. I bring like when, when they have kids in the home, I'll bring this book and give them this book because it is so important to teach kids, first of all, how to, how to live with the cat that you have, but also just how to respect life. Yeah. yeah. And this, a lot of times the parents read this book to their kids and they are like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that about cats. <laughs> <laughs> You're educating the whole family, aren't you? Yeah, that's very <laughs> clever. I, you need to give me a link to that book so that okay. I can put it in because um, that will be something that I would like to share with um, any of my potential adopters as well. It's because, a great book. It's a really good book. Because honestly, I think when human beings think that they're adopting a pet, even if it's not a kitten, but a dog, you know, I mean, dog, rabbit, chinchilla, whatever. I I get very concerned when the family, when the parents don't do their homework, they don't do their due diligence about animal behavior of the animal that they're going to adopt into their home. Like, yeah. what are the, what's the animal's, you know, behavioral? What are their needs, you know, to thrive? Mm-hmm. Not just to survive, but to thrive, to be healthy. You know, what kind of food you should be feeding them. You know, what sort of environment should you build for them. Uh, you know, things like that. And it, it, it makes me very upset when I see, you know, people adopt from like the local shelter and then they get bored or it gets yeah. too difficult. And then two things will happen. And especially for pocket animals like rabbits or hamsters, it's even worse, I think, because they're caged up and they end up living this enslaved life, like, you know, like battery farm kitchen, uh, uh, chickens, you know, you know, and uh, it's very inhumane. 
I, you know, I agree. I agree. I, you know, so what yeah, you're just, doing education is so important that that really is important. It is important. And I work on like a one-to-one, I, it's just one, one person at a time, one cat at a time. And I love, I love giving talks. I, I used to give more talks. Um, and I love speaking to general audiences. Mm-hmm. That is, that is my jam. I love speaking with general audiences because I mean, professional people, they already know this stuff, um, which is great. And they can share that information too. But if you can share the information in a way that is informative, easy to understand, and maybe just a wee bit entertaining, um, <laughs> they'll, they'll enjoy it and they'll want to do good and they'll, they'll be invested in providing, just following through with the information that they've gained. Um, so it's just really... I love talking to people on a broader, broader, um, yeah, audience level than just one on one. But right now, I'm, I've just been so busy that I've only had time to do one on one work. Um, so I'm really hoping to get back to being able to do talks and and talking with more people. That's just for that's, education. That's the that's your San Diego past as a yes. you know as the educationist as the guide. You know yeah. that that's the one that all those years ago, your, yep. that love and passion is coming through now. I you know, know, you actually, I mean, that's amazing. I, I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. Um, the journey from start to, to now, you know, the past to present, there is a link that every experience that you have, every so-called challenges that you hated, it all builds up, it layers you, it molds you, it prepares you for your calling, so to speak. Because yeah. I think, Basically, this is your calling. Now, after all these years of, you know, searching and, and trying things out, you know, I mean, like, you finally decided, like, cats, that's my deal. <laughs> <laughs> that's my passion. You know? I, and, and that's not to say this is my final stop. Um, mm. Because honestly, this, this work is exhausting. And it is emotionally very exhausting. You, you know this when you're working with community cats and you see abuse, you see cats die, you see injured cats, you see cats thrown away. There are things, I mean, there are some clients that I don't have all the answers for. And maybe the clients don't do what I wanted them to do. Or maybe there's an underlying health condition that exists exacerbates the issue that is going untreated because of financial constraints or whatever. It's exhausting. It can, this work is exhausting. Um, It can be extremely rewarding. And I love those, those days where I get an email and they're like, Oh my gosh, my cat is amazing. And thank you so much for showing me this stuff. But it's, it can be absolutely heartbreaking. And, um, I don't know if I can do this forever. Um, so even in a few years, I might, I might just be like, you know what? I can't, I can't do this like I've been doing. Um, and fortunately, I do love talking, like I said, to broad audiences. And so I would like to do more of that. And maybe that's how I start to contribute more to more people. 
Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's the direction my business will go. And maybe I have other behavior consultants under me. I don't know, but this, this is probably not like what I will be, the way I'm doing it now is not the way I'm going to be doing it forever. Um, I'm You're learning. Evolving. It's always an evolution. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm learning so much. Every time I talk to a new client, every time I talk to somebody like you, um, I learned something new and it all goes in there just so I can use it again in the future. Oh, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm really, truly enjoying this, this conversation with you. I mean, like seriously, uh, finding someone who, who's a kitty cat mom, uh, <laughs> and to be able to, 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 to share and listen, it's, 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 it's wow. I mean, like, yeah. you know, um, what would you say was, the most challenging case that you ever did, you've done? Oh, gosh. Um, one of the most challenging cases, there are a few that come to mind. Um, there, are, there are a handful that come to mind. Um, and I think when it comes to challenging cases for me personally it's really frustrating when somebody reaches out to me and they want help but they don't really want to do the work or they're not willing to make a change um so some of the saddest cases i've had are ones where a senior cat has been house soiling for a while. So the habit is established, but also senior cat. So vet visits and, and we need to make sure that the health is good. But house soiling can be an issue where most of the problem is litter box related. And when people say, okay, my, my cat is peeing all over my litter, litter, my living room, but I refuse to put a, lit, a litter box in my living room. I'm like, okay, well, I can tell you to do a lot of other things, but you know what? This probably won't work until you put a litter box in the living room. Mm -hmm. And then they still refuse to do it. Yeah. And I've had clients end up euthanizing their cats for that situation. That's heartbreaking to me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when when people want help but then don't want to do the work, or I mean, like I, I, just, I don't understand that. I yeah. it's it's hard for me. But there are other cases that you know situation. Even the people do what I recommend, and the cat is still house soiling. I feel like I've done my best and I don't know what else to tell people. Um, like I said, I mean, some cases you just, there's not going to be a solution to every single case. And that breaks my heart. And it's, um, uh, I feel bad for the people. I feel bad for the cat. I feel like I've let them down. Um, and again, talking about emotional toll, I take that stuff 
very personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be just, those are the bad days. Those are, those are the bad days. I had a case where, um, oh gosh, a woman had two Bengal cats, two older Bengal cats, like 12 or 13 year, year old Bengal cats. And then I think it was her mom died and her mom also had a senior Bengal cat. And so the senior Bengal cat came to live with the two other senior Bengal cats and those cats were not getting along. And no matter what I recommended, um, there was some resistance to some of it. She, I don't think she could do all of what I recommended and that's understandable. I mean, sometimes you just can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but those cats weren't getting along and it just, you know, sometimes it's just not going to work out. Um, and then I think at this point, the cats just have to, had to leave, live separately in, yeah. in the home, but that can be very stressful for people. So, um, as an empathetic person, um, those types of cases can be very, very difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 comp- I hear you and I, I know what you mean because as a animal welfare advocate myself yeah. <laughs> and uh, we handle abuse cases as well. So <clears throat> even harder cases, which is, oh my gosh. Oh that, my God. <clears throat> that's, a, yeah. that's very, very difficult. Um, compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have such big hearts, and we want we want to help the animals. We want we want to help the humans. <clears throat> we want in the ideal world, we would love a win win situation and a happy yeah. ever after fairy tale. Unfortunately, in the in the real world, it doesn't happen all the time. It's mm-hmm. like relationships. You go in, you try it out, <clears throat> it doesn't work. Then it comes to a point, and sometime in a relationship where you say, "Okay, it's not working." Yeah, have to part ways. Yeah. And for animals, it's always usually three ways that happens. Either they get thrown out very brutally, they just get abandoned, or they're they're euthanized, you know, or if they're lucky, they get rehomed. Yeah. You know, or or they go through a shelter as a halfway house for rehoming, or they get rehomed. You know, I mean, those cats are the lucky ones. But And it always it's always heartbreaking when we try to problem solve what's happening in the house and it and we realize that okay it's not working for whatever reason it's not working it, you know um that's life and what we bring home because we love we we put in our heart into the case um it's it can be very draining i i and you said you're an introvert mm-hmm. so i'm an introvert as well and that's worst i think you know because we absorb we <laughs> and then we think we think a lot we sit on it you know yeah, uh, yeah. how do you cope with that how do you decompress i mean how do you let it out yeah so as as an introvert <laughs> and just, you know, I think one of the primary differences between introverts and extroverts, and this might be part of the definition, is that introverts kind of re- recharge by getting alone time and downtime, mm-hmm. whereas extroverts, they get energy from being with other people and hanging out with other people. Um, so I spend a lot of time just, well, obviously in my home because it's the pandemic. Yay. Thank you, COVID. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time by myself. Um, 
or just my husband, you know, cause he, he's here too. Um, and my cats, I have a limit on how many consultations I can do in a day. I know like after I've had three con consultations, I am just like, okay, I, I can't even talk. Like if my husband wants to talk to me, I'm just like, hey, look, I'm, I'm talked out. I can't do anything. I just have to watch TV and play Animal Crossing and that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I like, I like taking care of my cats. You want to see one of my cats? Yes, please. Okay. There's Abby. Hey. How old is she? How old is she? She is 11 and a half. Oh, and she still acts like a kitten. She's um, baby. Abby's, yeah, Abby stays. She's she's almost like a puppy dog. She follows me around everywhere. She just has. She's usually in the room that I'm in, so she spends a lot of time here in the office. And I have a lot of cat toys. In the <laughs> You're a cat mama, and cats yeah. your business. So that's the way it should be. Exactly. Like all the stuff in here is like, oh, I, I have this stuff to show clients, but I have my product tester right over there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I think, yeah. I think, I think uh, one of the important things of what you do is that you, you must love cats. You must have cats and your cats have to test. They're your test kit. I mean, if it doesn't work, it, usually it won't work. And because you say you have yeah. four cats, right? Yes. Yeah. How do they get on? Okay. So three of the cats are related. So when I met my husband, um, he, before I met him, he got Samantha and unbeknownst to him, Samantha was pregnant. So um, she had a litter of kittens and he ended up keeping two of them. So he has Samantha and then her son, Oliver and her daughter, Momo. And when I came into the relationship, I had Abby, who's the exact same age as Oliver and Momo. Um, and then I also had an older cat named Jesse who has since passed on. Um, and Abby usually stays upstairs. Um, and Oliver, Momo, and Samantha usually stay downstairs on the, the main floor of our house. Um, and so they don't cross paths a whole lot. Um, their relationship has improved over time but at first it was pretty tenuous <laughs> you know i always believe um there is there is a maximum limit to how many cats you can put into an enclosed area mm -hmm. um i like i said i stay on just under 800 square feet and if i didn't catify my house with a you know vertical space and yeah. and, and whatnot i would not have been able to foster right I would not have been able to take in more than one cat. Yeah. Because when I first lived here, um, no catification, typical human being, right? Um, yeah. I started, um, I had one cat and then I had, you know, two more. I had a dog as well. I adopted a dog, you know, before that. And so three cats and one dog suddenly pushed the buttons you know yeah, yeah. you know and and I and then I freaked out and I had to I went to the vet and I said shit do I need to give them something like Prozac or something <laughs> because it was it was insane the 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 the, the, the fights the territorial yeah um the peeing the you know the 
um, oh my god, you know, it was very stressful. And the vet said, and the vet's not trained in all this, but she she said to me, "Have you tried Feliway, or they call it Feliway in in Feliway. some people, Feliway? Yeah. We call it Feliway here." And I was like, "Oh, what's that?" Okay, so that's what I love about the internet. You know, um, one of the amazing tools in the last 10 years really is the internet and Google. So I started to, to try and figure out, you know, um, cat behavior. That's when I like really like, okay, I need to educate myself. Cause obviously I'm not, I'm not being a good parent somehow. Something's not, yeah. not right. There's no harmony in the house and it was driving yeah. me nuts. So I got the, the fatty way or feely way, um, the plug-in thing. Yep. And I bought it. It's like I started to think. It's like oh my god! It's like holy water or something. So I, I I started like plugging it in in every part of my home. Oh my gosh! Because <laughs> three cats and one dog, right? Okay, you know, bedroom, living room. Oh, living room is bigger. Okay, a few more places in the living oh, room. Oh no! <laughs> one in the in the laundry area. I mean, that was that was what I was you know initially. And then I I found like say Jackson Galaxy and 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 um Kate Benjamin and. I realized, oh, what's this catification idea and cat behavior? Yeah. You yeah. know, so I started to read up more and and figure things out. And I'm like, okay, I should catify my home. So I bought, yeah. you know, cat tree and stuff. Then I realized, okay, it's not enough. It is really not enough. So I actually, um, I was planning to go on a holiday to the UK um, to visit some friends, and then I decided, okay, I'm going to use that travel money, my holiday money as my catification money. That, that was my part. Oh. I, because it was getting really like stressed out. I'm like, how am I supposed to travel with this kind of shit happening, right? Right. How do you leave <laughs> your cats if like it's a, you know, You know what bomb. I mean? So I went, okay, um, screw it. I am going to do this and invest. So, you know, I had no clue how to do it because we don't have you know, cat specialists at that time. Yeah. I think that was like 2013, maybe, you know. So I, I looked online and, and I sort of saw what he did. And I called up um, this guy who I knew. He's a steel welder at okay. the animal shelter, you know. So he fixes the fences and, you know, all the right, steel right. stuff. He welds stuff. So I said to him, I need your help. Can you come to my home? And he was like, very like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right got a job okay you know and I, and I explained to him I wanted to make stainless steel U brackets and I wanted to do a cat highway and I needed and I was going to make get wooden platforms and you know build this and he looked at me and he went I'm a welder I don't do this kind of thing I said, ah, ah, ah. They said, no 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 listen this is good for your resume take it as an experience you're gonna improve your your knowledge you know yes. and you never know, maybe, you know, this will come in useful. So he made, he actually helped me measure everything and, and figure out like, okay, what is the maximum length of wood I can, I can shove into the lift? Because I stay on the 20th floor, remember? Oh, so right. the wood, I can't just, you know, like most people in America, like where you live a house in a driveway, you know, it comes into the driveway and that's it, right? <laughs> right. I wouldn't have even thought of that. Like you have to, you, there's a maximum length. Yeah. And, and don't forget, bring in. I stay in a concrete jungle. So I have to maneuver through the jungle, the, the, the walkways and corridors and, you know, the drop, drop off points where the lorries is allowed to drop off. Yeah. You know? And so I had to figure all that out 
and I had to find my own supplier for the wood because he said, he told me, I don't do wood. So you've got to figure it out. Okay, I'll figure it out. You just do all the measurements for me and tell me how much, what's the maximum length I can put a plank inside the lift and carry it uh-huh. in <laughs> to uh-huh. the door. And you know, what's the distance? So he, he, he was good. He did all that for me, you know, and we got the materials together and he came and he helped me, you know, drill it into my ceiling. Um, but what's nice about the whole thing is uh, it was it was a learning curve for him because he did not know cat behavior, so he would do you know the 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 brackets like he wouldn't think of how a cat would walk through the the walkway and you know the connections especially the ninety degree angles he wouldn't yeah. think that you would have to make like a corridor like for humans but little little animals going through yeah. nicely he didn't think that way so I had to get him to you know, like move and, and adjust. And I explained him after what he got it. And it was his very first job doing this. And then about, I think a year or so later, he gave me a call and he said, Hey, where did you get your wood from? And I was like, why? He said, I, he said, like, I have a customer who wants to do exactly what you want to do. Oh my gosh. So I was so chuffed because that meant that, you know, he was suddenly applying what he learned with me. Uh-huh with another cat owner and I mean like isn't that isn't that amazing that you're helping another cat owner you know who and you're helping another cat and yeah exactly so, you're, you're, I mean, you're spreading the love you know exactly and you're you're not only helping that those two but you're also helping the welder because now he has more work because he's yeah. been able to do this job he's got a new so, side hustle <laughs> he's got a new side hustle that's that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. What would you say would be, you know, your whole journey, which has been fascinating, truly, truly fascinating. I've, I've loved listening to your story. What would you say would be your most proud moment in your entire journey that you're proud of? That's a really good question. I. <laughs> You know, I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that I was actually a cartoonist for a little while. <laughs> Take that off your bucket list, right? <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, you know, nothing immediately comes to mind. I mean, I, I think I've had some things that I'm proud of, but um, I don't know if they're distinct accomplishments. Like, um, I'm really, I'm really happy that I can help, um, cats stay in homes. I, I, I'm really proud of that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's such a hard question. (laughs) Such a hard question. (laughs) Okay, so okay, what oh so what would you say would be what would you like to see way to see yourself moving forward? Uh, I think I'd like to reach more people, be able okay. to reach more people. Cause like I said, I, I work kind of one-on-one right now with people and that can make a real impact on individual lives, which is great. Um, but the limitations of that are um, time. I can only talk, work with so many people one-on-one 
And then the other thing is money. I, you know, I have to make a living in order to be able to do this. Um, if I, if I don't make money, that means I have to, that I have to find a job doing something else in which if I do that, I'm not going to have time to help people with their cats. And the, that restricts that, you know, if somebody can't afford my services, that means I can't help them. And that, I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> um, I do have a, a number of, of free resources, of course. Um, so I have like a, a private Facebook group that you can enter if you answer three questions and, you know, get help there. Um, I'm taking a, a back seat in that and my, my moderators have been doing fantastic and just stepping up to the plate with helping people there. Um, but I would like to be able to reach more people and help them regardless of their income. Um, so that means, you know, giving more talks to broader audiences or maybe having some other type of income stream where I can, you know, be on radio or do video or something like that. Um, you know, so that's kind of where I think I'd like my, my direction to go, um, but still be able to give people individual help when they need it. And that would mean maybe hiring other behavior professionals to work for me um, so that we can, we can reach more people. Yeah. Would you say, you know, in, in your whole journey today, did you ever think you end up where you are as a cat behaviorist? No. <laughs> I, and, and that's, that's the thing, like, I never really knew what I was going to do because no, no one thing ever really, really stood out to me. I mean, uh, you know, other than wanting to be a cartoonist. Um, but, you know, it was always just like, oh, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. And, and um, nothing really ever, like, even when I was in grad school, I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. And the reason why I went from my master's to my PhD was because, A, I didn't know what I was going to do after I finished my master's, and B, the PhD opportunity just fell into my lap, and I couldn't say no to it. So, um, you know, it wasn't like I actively sought out a PhD, um, and you know, I, I just didn't know what I was going to do. So um, that opportunity came. And, and then even after that, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was just, where am I going today? <laughs> so what, what would you say would be, you know, the, the biggest mistake you ever made? <sighs> if there was like one advice you can give someone. The, oh gosh, well, there's a ton, there's a lot of different pieces of advice I would give people, but um, I would say um, something that I probably wouldn't do in hindsight, hindsight, I wouldn't say it's a mistake, but it, hindsight, I probably right. wouldn't have gotten my PhD. 
I probably would have, because I, I was just so burned out after that. Um, if I had a better understanding of what I wanted to do and had a more clear path, I would have maybe gone for specialized program in animal behavior or something like that. I just didn't know that that kind of thing existed or, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I didn't know that that was an option for me. Um, and the PhD just really kind of took an emotional and physical toll on me. And then also it created a lot of debt. So, and it just wasn't necessary. I mean, I, I didn't need that to be where I am today. I didn't need that to have any of the jobs that I had after that. So um, I'm, that's not to say that it wasn't a really good experience but um, it just was something where I think I probably wouldn't have done it to get, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. 2020 hindsight, like looking back. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I heard, oh, you're overqualified. Um, you know, I, I heard that a few times. Um, the other piece of general advice I would give people is, um, you know, even if you're introverted and being an introvert is not a bad thing. Um, people just assume that like, you know, being introverted is a bad thing and being extroverted is a good thing. No, 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 no. That's not, that's ridiculous. Um, it's just a different, there are two different styles of, of being. Um, I would, I would just, especially younger people, um, just understand that you are, perfect the way you are and have confidence in yourself. And even if you feel like you're a big weirdo <laughs> and don't fit in, um, that's okay. You know, your people will find you and you'll realize that your people are going to embrace you for who you are. And the thing that makes you feel so different is the thing that makes you feel special. And I know that sounds like really cliche and whatever, but it's absolutely 100% true. I wish when I was younger that I had the confidence to accept those cool things that made me different and I thought were really lame, but other people thought they were cool. I mean, like, I just didn't even know. So just having more confidence, I think, just try to believe in yourself a little bit more than maybe I did when I was a kid. So, yeah. Well, Dr. Marcy Kosky, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, your left brain and right brain is amazing. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, you're one of the rare, <clears throat> rare people that I've spoken to that, that have utilized both sides in, in many ways. It's not just, and I think, you know, I believe in your personal choices in life as well as your professional choice you know, um, and to listen to, to your journey and the challenges and struggles that you've gone through, huge respect for you. Oh, thank you so much. I, I admire, I admire what you do working like with community cats and, oh my gosh, I've never done TNR, um, but it is, such a necessary and needed and humane thing to do. 
Thank you for that. Do you do um, online consultation for overseas people? Yes, I do. I, I've, I've worked with people all over the world. So um, as long as you have an internet connection and can speak English, because that's the only language <laughs> I speak, um, then I can work with you. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So Dr. Marcy, you know, you're such a beautiful person. And again, and um, congratulations on your coming 10-year anniversary with uh, Mr. Musician over there. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, uh, he's a very lucky man to have you. I think, you know, uh, so blessings to both of you and to your lovely, lovely fur babies as well. Thank uh, you so much. And I it's wish you well. I wish you well in your journey moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. It's been so nice talking with you. And thank you very much for reaching out. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Dr. Marcy's story. Look out for Katia or Bob's interview next week. Wow. I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you, and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone. <laughs>